We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pack a Day podcast. I'm Steve Peretz, joined as always by Dusty Evely and Sarah Kelleher. How's it going, guys? Great, man. Another week. Excited to talk some football. Yeah, me too. This is going to be an awesome episode. Yeah. Thanks to an awesome question um, sent in by one of you guys that we're going to base our whole episode on. So this is really exciting stuff. So yeah, we got to start out by doing a shout out to... Uh, Joshua Kisscamp, um, who gave us a question last week for the mailbag, and it was just too in-depth and too involved for us to get it in the mailbag episode, so we decided to take it for the whole episode this time. So here we go. It's uh, His question was, I keep hoping for a Packer analyst to answer this. What's your Packers super team picking by position group of the best teams? So the teams could be champions or could have been the 97, 2007, 2014, and he wants it done by position group. So um, if it's 2010, the best wide receiver group top to bottom, it's Don Driver, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, etc. So you're not picking the best player. You're picking the best Packers group from a year. So... Uh, basically, what's going to happen here is I'm going to I'm going to facilitate this, and Sarah and Dusty did a really big deep dive into this, so I'm pretty excited to see what they agree on, what they disagree on, and kind of where they uh, you know millennial versus old man that kind of stuff. So that should be a fun uh, little breakdown of this. So 
Uh, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And, Sarah, I'm going to give you first crack at it. So tell me best ever quarterback group for the Green Bay Packers. Okay. So before I get started on diving into my picks, um, I wanted to set straight some of the rules that Dusty and I put together. <laughs> so one was we tried to avoid picking the same years at all costs, um, but there was a there was one or two instances where we were both just like, come on, we have to both yeah. pick that group. And um, so we and we also could not repeat the year. So if I chose, you know, 2011 for wide receivers, then I can't choose 2011 for any of the other position groups. So, yes, there might be a better position group in your opinion, but those were the rules that we tried to follow to make this a little bit more interesting. Um, so my thought process for quarterbacks um, – I went with 2007, and I was thinking just um, because the question um, was based around the group and who the quarterback group was, so not necessarily, you know, obviously Brett Favre was starting. That was Brett Favre's last year in Green Bay, um, and then Aaron Rodgers, everyone knows the story, took took over from there. But I think most people would agree – Oh. So, sorry, I skipped over this. So, Brett Favre was a starter, Aaron Rodgers was back up, and then Craig Nall, Nail, I don't even know how to say his last name because I don't even remember, um, (laughs) was the third-string quarterback. So, I think most people would agree that they would want both Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers as quarterback options on their roster in this kind of super team situation. So, I chose 2017 for a few different reasons, Uh, the first really being that Yes, this is far as last year with Green Bay, so it's been a full three years pretty much that Aaron's gotten to sit behind him and learn from him. And also because I think this was the year where we got our first glimpse and maybe had a little bit of a realization that, hey, maybe Aaron Rodgers has the potential to step up and be a great quarterback when Brett Favre um, leaves. And obviously that was the next year. So Aaron Rodgers, even though he only played in two games um, that season – One of the games was against Week 13 uh, against the Cowboys. And in the second quarter of this game, um, there's a great article in, let me check my notes, The Ringer about this. And definitely I'll tweet this out. And if I forget, remind me, tweet at me to uh, tweet the link to this article because it really breaks down this game and this kind of shining moment for Rodgers. And Um, He really had no experience playing in the NFL, and he suddenly faces the situation where he has to step in for uh, Brett Favre after he injured his throwing arm. And so this was the most significant time that Rodgers got in his playing career up to that point, and it was Packers and Cowboys, both 10-1, and fighting to win the NFC. And even under those circumstances, he came in already down uh, 27-10. He led two scoring drives through his first career touchdown pass, and at one point he even brought the Packers within a field goal. And, I mean, this was back in the day where the Cowboys had Terrell Owens and Marion Barber. So the fact that he was kind of able to hang with them shows, you know, Favre was obviously still great. Rodgers was becoming great. So having those two at that level together kind of leaned me towards 2017. Uh, And for those of you who don't know Craig Nall, if you want to go to the Cheesehead TV Twitter account, uh, yesterday they posted a video, uh, it's pretty funny, of the time that Craig Nall put deer urine on Aaron Rodgers' practice jersey. So uh, very, very timely of Sarah to bring up Craig Nall. So, <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't even see that. <laughs> so, yeah, check that out for sure. Dusty, what year did you go with? 
Uh, so Sarah dug deep into the backup stuff. Uh, I didn't really do that. I was looking at kind of best uh, best year by quarterback. I mean, the other ones, you, you kind of look at the position groups and you say you want the depth, you want those people that can, you know, you want all that. But ideally, your quarterback is your quarterback, your starting quarterback. So I went with this was this was tough, but probably not really all that tough. Um, I went with 2014 Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so 2014 Aaron Rodgers, we all know, it had a messed up calf and still went, uh, completed 65.6% of his passes, uh, over 4,000 yards, 38 touchdowns to five interceptions. He had, per Football Outsiders DVOA, his second best career DVOA, and we'll talk about the first best in a second and, and why we did not choose that, and that, that's probably apparent to you now, I assume. Second best DVOA of his career, second best DYAR of his career, like just in absolute, that was uh, run the table, uh, I mean, especially second half on, unstoppable machine uh even with that injury he was just you know hitting the top of that drop he's letting it fly precision was on point reads were on point it's just it, just an absolute man on a mission that year uh and i think i couldn't take 2011 aaron Rodgers uh because that's going to be the receiving group because there's no way to get around that being the receiving group but i will say one of my my favorite 2011 aaron Rodgers stat I'm going to throw this out, even though I'm saying I'm taking 2014 Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I really want to take 2011 Aaron Rodgers just for the stat. So I don't know if you guys keep up with, uh, there's a stat usually released at the end of every year, Football Outsiders, and I think Pro Football focuses as well. It's adjusted interceptions. And I believe I've talked about it here before, but what adjusted interceptions does is it takes your interception total, it adds any interceptions that are deemed dropped. Now, those are like a defender has like two hands on one and drops one, you know. And so that should have been an interception. It wasn't. And then they subtract any that were tipped, so that were not the quarterback's fault. So generally, you know, you've got it, – it's very rare do you see anything but slightly higher. Because you'll get like, well, this guy had ten interceptions and six dropped uh, and two tipped or something like that. So it kind of comes up. Aaron Rodgers – in 2011, 45 touchdowns, six interceptions. He threw two tipped interceptions. Two of his six interceptions in 2011 were tipped, and he had zero interceptable balls outside of those. So if you think about this, he attempted 502 passes in 2011, and he threw a total of four interceptable balls. Four. That's insane to me. I did not take him because I had because there's there's no other wide receiver group, but. 2014 Aaron Rodgers for my quarterback. I'll take it. And if you want to go back up, that was Matt Flynn, and Matt Flynn was perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Uh, do you have those numbers for Jameis Winston this this year? He had at all. <laughs> yeah, I, he well he threw uh, 30 interceptions. He had uh, it was like 21. Tw- it was like 25 dropped or something. It was yeah. something bonkers. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure that number sounds like it'd be really funny to uh, digest. To digest, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, his adjusted interception was something like fifty some odd, I think, <laughs> something like that. Okay, uh, basically, we're just going to start alternating who starts these ones. So, Dusty, I'm going to give you the running back group. Running back group was tough, man. I think of all the ones that I was looking at, I think probably uh, running back group and uh, offensive line were probably the toughest. There's just there's such a legacy in Green Bay of both of those things. So. Um, I went with um, 1961. Went with 61, and the main two that year uh, was Jim Taylor. Jim Taylor, 1,300 yards. This was uh, what 14 game season. 1,300 yards, 5.4 yards per attempt. Everyone knew he was getting it, and they couldn't stop him. 15 touchdowns to, to tack onto that. He had 25 catches for 175 yards and made the Pro Bowl that year. 
they also had Paul Horning. Paul Horning, 597 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt. So we'll get into, and I think Sarah's going to get into as well, some of the offensive line stuff as well. But, I mean, there's so many fun running back groups. I, I was telling you guys before the show, like, 03 was one that was, like, just kind of an oddly fun group. That was Amon Green, Najee Davenport, uh, Tony Fisher, and William Henderson. That was fun, and I almost had them for a hot second. I had them in uh, the Google Doc. But really, at the end of the day, it's Green Bay. And you're looking at this, and it's got to be—I think it's got to be a combination of Taylor and Horning. So I went with—I uh, went with 61 because I think I had some of their other years somewhere else. I think they probably did have better years, um, and I think Sarah's got one of those better years. But uh, yeah, I think that's—that's—that's that's, that's hard to beat. I think a young Elijah Pitts that year as well, if I'm not mistaken. Was it the pooping in the closet thing that took you away from Najee Davenport? No, it was Tony Fisher that killed it. Uh, Davenport, oh. that, that jumped Davenport up. Okay. You remember, <laughs> Steve, you, I mean, I, I assume, Sarah, I don't know if you remember this too much. Steve, I, I don't know if you remember this. Davenport, they used to have him returning kicks. And the oh, dude would just, once he got up to speed, you couldn't stop him. Because he's just like, it took him a while. His legs started training. Once he got up to speed, just terrifying. I mean, he was, fall, he was falling forward like 18 yards. Yeah. 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 No, I remember I remember like he was he was always fun seeing that number forty four get a like a little pitch to the outside. Mm-hmm. That was always a good time to see him running. But oh yeah. yeah. Love Najee yeah. Davenport. The whole pooping in the closet thing, because I figured that would be a, a, a downtick, but apparently that was an uptick for you. So No, that's fine. Yeah, no, tur- turns <laughs> no out problem with it. No turns problem. Turns out cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, what year did you go with? Um, so I went really close to Dusty with 1952 when we uh, exchanged our years. I was relieved to see that we did not pick the exact same year because <laughs> I was a little nervous, but we were very close. So um, like Dusty said, uh, this was a combination of Jim Taylor, uh, Paul Horning, and then Tom Monroe was on the team that year. So the, that uh, trio was just an unbelievable trio in terms of what they were able to do and the fact that they were all on the team. At once is kind of crazy to think about. And so that year, the team rushed for a total of 2,460 yards. Taylor accounted for 1,474 of them, which is just absurd. And Moore had 377 and Horning with 219. I mean, Taylor's Taylor. Do we need to say anything more than that? I mean, he's just a legend. Then we had a pro bowler that year in Monroe to his arsenal, and they still had Horning, who's Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame, NFL Player of the Year in 60 and 61, and the lead scorer in the NFL for three years. So that was kind of the three of them together, and with Monroe making the Pro Bowl that year, uh, kind of pushed 62 to the top for me for the running backs. Was that – I mean, you you were just looking at this, Sarah. Is that, that was Taylor's best year as far as rushing yardage total, wasn't it? I, think that was uh, I believe it was, okay. yeah. Cool. All right, so we've got through quarterbacks, running backs. Sarah, let's lead it off with your best wide receiver. Or do you guys want to, like, tag team this one? Because I mean, Yeah, I mean, this is a love fest. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> this is a total love fest on 2011. I would love to hear if you have a – if anyone else out there has a different year. Because I think 2011 is such an iconic year. I mean, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver. Then you throw in a rookie Randall Cobb into the mix, too, fresh off of the Super Bowl – I mean, the Sports Illustrated cover mm-hmm. says it all. The perfect pack, that's the perfect way to describe that. I mean, just beautiful. I would do anything to have that kind of arsenal and those weapons on the team right now. I mean, Rodgers had targets in any direction he looked. 5,161 receiving yards and 51 touchdowns that year. So that's just, that's just nuts. 
Yeah, I I wanted, like I said at the top, I wanted 2011 Rodgers so bad, and so I was looking for any other receiving group. Um, the, the closest I came, I mean, I look back, you know, back to Sterling Sharp, but back, you know, Sharp was like the only one. I looked back to, I think, like the him and Brooks, I think, overlapped by one year. So I was looking at that. I think that was 94. Uh, you know, looking for any year with uh, Brooks and um, Antonio Freeman out there. But, like, there's just – Anything's a stretch, man. 2011, just the numbers are insane. I did look at 2014. 2014 had both Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb over 1,000 yards. Jordy Nelson in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, 1,500 yards, uh, 13 touchdowns. Randall Cobb, tw- close to 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns, which is just insane. And then number three was, uh, I think at that time, was a rookie, Devontae Adams, for 446 yards. Like, they had the top talent, but the depth wasn't there. I just, I'm looking at the 2011 stats. It's just insane to me. The, um, no one, the lowest catch percentage on that group was Greg Jennings at 66%. Jordy Nelson, who had close to 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns, caught 70.8% of the targets thrown his way. James Jones was at 69.1. Driver, 66.1. Cobb was at 80.6. And then beyond that, looking at yards per target, their yards per target, Jordy Nelson, 13.2, James Jones, 11.5, Randall Cobb, 12.1. And then you you say, like, you look at what 2014 was, you had uh, the yards per target in 2014. Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb were both at 10.1. No one else was above 7.8, not a single other person. You have guys, so you have multiple guys with double digits that were catching everything that hit their way. Like, that group, there's just, I just, you can't say enough about that group. Like it's just it's top to bottom. Just the you had depth, you had youth, you had experience. Um, just the entire package. That's the, the best receiving group I think I've ever seen. So yeah, that one was pretty easy. I mean, even before when you guys were doing all your research, I kind of looked a, a little bit briefly at all that stuff. And I was like, I mean, there's there's not even a question that that's just that's just it. So, uh, all right, Dusty, lead us off with the tight end group. Tight end was a little tougher. Um, not uh-huh. not a not a huge. Uh, <laughs> legacy of, of quality like you'd have a couple tight end like top end like I think of like you know Paul Kaufman or when Finley was was at his peak uh someone like that but uh, I think the true and I just went top two I went back to 95 um I almost thought I had to go 96 and I did not but I went 95 and that was uh Keith Jackson's first year and Mark Chamura uh Keith Jackson 500 yards 10 touchdowns Chamura went for 370 it was a really good tandem I think for what that offense was trying to do, what that offense was doing, uh, that Jackson, Chamorro, uh, Jackson, if I remember correctly, um, did not want to come to Green Bay, and I think Reggie White talked him into it uh, for basically his, his last couple years in the league. So he came to Green Bay, came in 95, you know, they got close in 96, they win it all. But that, that group, that pairing of Jackson and Chamorro, uh just played really, really well together. Um, and that was uh, Jackson made the uh, the Pro Bowl that year as well. Um, and that's mid nineties. I don't really remember Pro Bowl in mid nineties, but I think it meant a little more than it did now. So I'm going to pretend it meant more than it does now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just a really good pairing in ninety five. Yeah, I mean tight ends, like you said, this was where you know we did quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and I was getting all excited <laughs> and I was looking up all these old highlights of all these Packer legends, and then I got the tight ends, and I was like, this is. No disrespect, but, you know, <laughs> level fun went down a little bit at that point. But I uh, went pretty simple, um, and I picked 1983, and that's just because that was the year of Paul Kaufman. I mean, he 840, he, oh, let me check my stats, 54 receptions for 814 yards that year. So, I mean, if you're a tight end and you're creeping towards a 1,000-yard season, that's pretty impressive. So that's kind of 
uh, why I went with 83. And, you know, although throughout his career he wasn't, you know, the best pass catcher, he dropped some passes at times. Um, but he was he was a really great blocker, and he still holds the team record in stats for tight ends, which is impressive. And uh, with my with you know Jim Taylor, Tom Monroe, and Paul Horning on my quote unquote super team, I I, I want a good blocker. So that's kind of what I went with there. So eighty three for me. Now the the, uh, the fun stuff. We'll get to offensive line, defensive line, uh, the big boys who like to eat. Uh, Sarah, what do you got for the best? Packers offensive line unit of all time. Yeah, so this one was hard because there was a few different ones I could have picked, um, and for different reasons as well. Um, I ended up going with 1998, which is great year, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, I was born before oh, the 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. But anyways, um, some notable names from that year on the offensive line are. Earl Dotson, Ross Verba, Jeff Dellenbach. So this one was really hard for me because I tried to find a good balance of where the offensive line did well enough in pass protection, but not terrible in run blocking and vice versa. So looking back at the stats, um, you know, like 2010, for example, phenomenal run blocking. But when it came to protecting Rodgers, it was like, nah, we're okay. And so I didn't want to, I wanted to pick a balanced year. Um, Obviously, you know, 2010 is fine. Worked out great. But if we're talking about best all around, I settled on 1998 because, um, according to Football Outsiders, uh, they were nine in the league when it came to run blocking and 10 when it came to pass protection. So, two top 10 uh, position groups there is pretty darn good. So, that's ultimately why I settled on that year. I also always just love the name Ross Verba. It's a it's a it's a cool name to say. Um, he was, he was an he was an Iowa dude too, wasn't he? Was he? I believe so. I'll look it up. I, I really think, I want to say he was an Iowa tackle, and I mean that's not shocking that Green Bay would dip into the Iowa tackle yeah. <laughs> business again. Yep, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. Uh, and it doesn't have quite the ring to it. Not though. quite the ring. Um, I had a tough time. I actually almost went 2014 with this one. That was um, Balaga, Lang, Sitton, Lindsley's uh, rookie year, and Bakhtiari. Um, Really solid year, and especially again, Rogers hobbled that year. Uh, they really held up in pass, in pass protection really well, and were able to do very well in the run game uh, with kind of a little more limited Rogers. But I did not, partially because I want Rogers quarterback, and partially because my God in heaven, we just talked about the tight end group in Green Bay not having a great legacy. That's the opposite for the offensive line. You could have gone a dozen different ways with this. I went simple. I went powerful. I went 1966. 66 is, uh, you know, Super Bowl one. So the other one for Super Bowl one. This this lineup is just insane. It's um, Bob Skaronsky as left tackle, which by the way, all time Wisconsin name, all time Wisconsin name. <laughs> Fuzzy Thurston at left guard, Jim Ringo at center, Jerry Kramer at right guard, Forrest Gregg at right tackle. Now of those five men, all five are in the Packers Hall of Fame and. Three of those dudes are in the actual Hall of Fame or in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Fuzzy Thurston should be in there as well. So you've got a lineup that won, that was dominant, you know, up to that point. They won Super Bowl one that year, and they've got three Hall of Famers, should be four in each one of those in the Packers Hall of Fame. Just an absolute dominant force of an offensive line that just could do whatever they wanted to. That was, um, I love reading about Lombardi's sweep. Um, 
There's a story about Lombardi talking. Uh, they had a coaching clinic and talked for eight hours about the sweep itself. What I loved about what I love about the sweep is that he did have. It wasn't just the one play. He had variations. He had counters. He had a whole bunch of stuff to that. But everyone was in such just lockstep, and that starts with the offensive line. Everyone knew what they were running, and no one could stop it just because that was a dominant force. So uh, again, could have gone a dozen different ways, but it's hard to ignore that 66 line. All right, Dusty, lead us off. We're switching over to the defensive side of the ball, the D line. This was also easy. Well, this was this was not. I mean, this was easy. The, the offensive line was not 96. I actually had to shuffle a couple groupings around to make sure I had 96. The 96 defensive line was just absolutely insane. It's Reggie White. You know, you're familiar with Reggie White. Um, Hall of Famer. Heard, heard the name. Gilbert Brown, the gravedigger in the middle, Packers Hall of Famer. Santana Dotson and Sean Jones. Just an absolute animal Sean Jones. So that was their four on that line for that 96 season. Unstoppable. Just an absolute, absolute force up front. Uh, great against the run, great against the pass, never let anyone get comfortable. Um, I've watched you know, 96 at Super Bowl season. I've watched that 96 season more times than I care to count. Uh, and just the plays they make. Gilbert Brown, Gilbert Brown was like 350 pounds, and dude is dropping back in his own coverage in the flat and actually doing a very good job of it and also just absolutely destroying people up front. Against Carolina, I think, <laughs> NFC Championship game, Gilbert Brown, like they, they're nothing in the middle. Nothing oh. to know. Gilbert Brown's just shutting everything down. So it's um, for me, uh, it's it's '96, and I'm sure there's other years that are close, but it was really hard to think of one. <laughs> yeah, this was the other year that, um, besides 2011, that Dusty and I said, "Listen, we're just going to pick the same year because it was just too good, <laughs> way too damn good." Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, I mean, they would just stuff people. Um, fourth in the league against the run block. That year, I'm just just tremendous stuff and legends on that D line that year. Anytime I hear the name Santana Dotson, I think immediately think of Atomic Dog by uh, George Clinton. Um, you guys obviously aren't familiar. He was on um, one of the morning shows in Milwaukee, like back in the day, and that was his intro song every like Tuesday <laughs> morning uh, after the games and everything like that. So I'll, that anytime Santana, like anytime I hear that name, that's immediately the first thing that comes to my mind. So uh, <laughs> very random, random piece of information for everybody to hear. But uh, okay, Sarah, let's move on to you. Uh, linebacking group. This was, uh, this is an interesting collective uh, collection of names here. So go ahead, dive in. <laughs> So I picked 1993. Um, I think, Steve, you had mentioned this before. Your line, the Packers linebacker, I can't speak, linebacker's <laughs> trouble, it is not new. It's been there for a bit. So I had to go back a little ways to find a time where I was like, where is a well-rounded group that can pretty much kick ass? And so <laughs> I picked 1993. Um, some notable names from that group were Tony Bennett, Johnny Holland, Brian Noble, Bryce Pop. So basically, Tony Bennett, dude only played four seasons with the Packers, and he's still sixth on the team all time in sacks. So that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Um, and then uh, Bryce Pop had a fantastic overall career, and in Green Bay he was selected the Pro Bowl. Um, and I think the next year as well, he was seventh in sacks all time in the Packers record books. Johnny Holland had over 100 tackles in six consecutive seasons. So I thought that was a very interesting statistic. Um, Obviously, uh, neck injury shortened his career in 92, but he was later inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame. 
And then Brian Noble led the Packers in tackles for four of his nine seasons that he spent in Green Bay. So I was just trying to find a group that was well-rounded, where guys could, you know, come out, come in, and they would still um, have the depth that they needed. I think, you know, that's the issue that we've seen in recent years is, you know, they have one or two good guys, and then after that, if somebody gets hurt, if somebody has to come out, it's like, oh, where where are they at? So I tried to find someone, a group of people that was well-rounded and had some depth to it. Yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things. Like that was, that was the first group I actually looked into before we started, decided to make you two the primaries on this. And I started scrolling through the names like, Oh my God, when's the last time they had a really, really good inside linebacker or entire linebacking group? And uh, this is a tough call. So, uh, Dusty, what'd you end up going with? This is easy, man. I went, I went 2012. You got AJ Hawk. You got Eric Walden. You got <laughs> choking. <laughs> I was like so legitimately confused. I was like, oh my god, is he serious? I was trying he to get through Eric Walden. I was trying to get through more names. I should have saved Walden to the end, uh, so it wasn't exactly tipping my hand. Um, yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's it's cool because when you think of old school Packers, you do think linebackers, and then there's like a 50 year gap. Um, <laughs> so I went back a ways. I went to 67. Um, that's that's Nitschke. That's Nitschke's, uh age 31 season. Uh, also, Dave Robinson, uh, first team All-Pro that year, and Leroy Caffrey, all three men are in the Hall of Fame, or the Packers Hall of Fame. Uh, and all of them, I think uh, Leroy Caffrey played 13 of the 14 games, started 13 of the 14 games. The other two started all 14. So I, any, I was basically looking for a year, okay, where was a healthy Ray Nitschke that was still just absolutely wrecking people? And, uh, and where did that overlap with Dave Robinson? And uh, so 67 was kind of the sweet spot. That's that's all I got to say. I think that's a good group. And then, yeah, nothing good happened until Nick Barnett, I think. <laughs> and then he was there for, like, what, two years, three years? And then, <laughs> then it's just another, like, string of a random dudes that filled in for a year or two, year or two. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, it's an S show for the linebacking crew. So hopefully Christian Kirksey is the man to stick around for a long time. That's uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Dusty, finish this off. We'll go with the secondary group. Secondary was tough, man. I mean, you can go back. That's another one I could go back to '60s. And you can you find a pairing of, um, especially anything with Herb Adelaide and Willie Wood in the same the same team. Uh, you just kind of build around that. So I kind of was looking at that. Um, I was looking at late '90s, you know, with Craig Newsom and Leroy Butler. I really wanted to find a Leroy Butler team, but ultimately I came down to 2010. Um, and Super Bowl season that was uh, Charles Woodson. Just you know, Charles Woodson. Uh, Tremont Williams just being an absolute animal, especially in the playoffs. Uh, Nick Collins, uh, sadly, his last full season as, as he was kind of playing, I think, Hall of Fame level safety play that season. Uh, I'm going to cover my mouth and say uh, Charlie Pepper at the other safety. Oof. Which So Charlie Pepper is kind of the one that was like, I almost didn't take this. But at the same time, that was also Morgan Burnett's play, uh, star, uh, rookie year as well. And he sure. didn't play a ton, but he was in a little bit. And so that's one of those things like, hey, he maybe – Maybe on my team, as I put them in, I put Burnett in over Pepper. Um, but also, Pepper wasn't necessarily awful, 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 just because of all the talent around him. And then lastly, you also have Sam Shields in his rookie season, uh, just just playing and just balling out just completely that entire year. And then also, you know, through the playoffs, just had a couple of really really nice plays. So, yeah, I think uh, secondary I almost went ninety eight, but I think uh, just I think. Just the combination of Woodson, uh, Nick Collins, if nothing else, kind of, uh, I've got 2010. How dare you leave Jared Bush off that list? 
Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, it's more of a special teamer, I feel like, at that point. He had an interception had, in the Super Bowl. He had an interception in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have time for everybody, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, what year did you go? I picked 2012, so close to Dusty uh, um, there as well. Um, some notable players, Sam Shields, Devon House came into the mix, and Tremont Williams, who I like. I think I sometimes just forget how long that he's been in the league. <laughs> and obviously I know he hasn't been on Packers forever, but when I was looking through that, I was like, oh, my God. That was, like, in his, I guess you could say prime or, you know, in his younger days, and he's he's still hanging around. So good for him. Um, but these guys, they were just great to watch. And, you know, this is a time when I was really starting to watch a lot of the Packers games, and I just remember those guys and being excited about them and um, – you know, they were the kind of the first group on in the secondary where as a kid I was like, dang, like they they they've got it. Like I they definitely know what's going on. And, you know, uh, Charles Woodson had just left the year before and having Devon House come in. And um, obviously he was great for many years, too. Um, right after that was just a nice continuation of talent. I thought obviously obviously they're different kinds of players, but um, seeing that continuation um, in the secondary there there was exciting when I looked back on that. So I went with 2012. See, I don't feel bad about taking Charlie Pepper because she just took Devon House. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm good with my life. Yeah, decisions I mean, now. It, it was more of like a when I was younger, these were the people I was watching. And I have sure. fun watching them. So again, there was other years, but I had already used them. Like it was so hard. Like this was one of the years where I was like, well, I really want to choose like the Super Bowl year, and I can't. So <laughs> you could have. I would have. Yeah, I, would and then, have I mean, and then there was other years, like Dusty had said before we even started recording, that was a really, really good defensive back year, and then somebody did something pretty stupid after the fact that we just didn't want to name them as a part of that team anymore. So. Yeah, I was, I was going to go '98 and just say Craig Newsom, Tyron, Tyron Williams, Leroy Butler, and then um, I'm pretty sure there was another man at the safety position, and I'm blanking on who he was. Uh, I think I, that's. I, I think he uh, he played for the Saints though, that not the Packers, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah he's yeah. he's well more well known as a Saint, I believe. Yes. That's pretty much what I thought too. Yeah. Uh, all right, that kind of wraps up the entire uh, dream team for Sarah and Dusty of the Packers all time. Thank you again for Joshua for that question. It was really outstanding. It was a lot of fun for them to be able to do a deep dive into this kind of stuff. Um, so, again, thank you for that. Uh, before we get going, do you guys have any closing thoughts? Dusty, articles, videos, what do you got for me? Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, just again, yeah, thanks for the question because I was <laughs> telling you guys before we started recording, I found myself watching a Bob Skaronsky uh, interview, <laughs> and I had never, I had never really done that before, so I got to dive into maybe Packers history in a way that I don't typically do, and so that was that was fun. Um, if if for no other reason, you're kind of bouncing off each other, so re- really fun question. Uh, We've been kind of looking for stuff to do for the past month, so this was this was really fun. I know uh, I spent too much time doing it, and Sarah did as well. Um, so hopefully, hopefully everyone liked it. Um, yeah, my final thoughts. I've got. Um, uh, article going up today over on Cheesehead, kind of going through the 2019 season and breaking down some plays. I'm almost done. I'm up to week 15, which Steve, if you remember, is the Bears game. So I got to revisit. I, some I recall Bears something yeah. about that game. Yeah, a couple of really handsome men going to a Bears game. Yeah, game. that was it. That was, was it. yeah. Uh, so that that'll be up today on Cheesehead over at, on, uh, at noon. And then I've also been doing. Um, I think three or four days I've started now. Uh, daily posts over at Packer Report at 
9 a.m. where I'm doing kind of good morning. And so I've got a, uh, a highlight. It's, at this point, it's a Rogers throw and then kind of a short breakdown of it. So it's nothing big. It's uh, I, I kind of wanted something that's fun, something to wake up to. Uh, you know, I think things are kind of starting to slowly reopen, at least in my neck of the woods. But it's still kind of weird on certain times. So I kind of wanted something that uh, maybe everyone could look forward to in the morning. That's just a Packers highlight plus a little bit of analysis thrown on the top. So every morning at about 9 a.m. over on uh, Packer report you can find those um and it is a it's a subscription over there uh but i've i've got that outside the paywall so if you go over there at 9 a.m you can uh just spend the first five minutes of your day drinking coffee and watching a packers highlight and seeing a little breakdown it's been it's been a lot of fun to do that very cool sarah you got anything for us oh uh, yeah i'm just gonna tack on to what dusty said about um the question that we got and how awesome we thought the question was and that it provided us content um for a whole podcast that we were able to, you know, dig deeper into that and find good content for you guys. And so if you have questions, like even if we're not doing a mailbag, always shoot us a tweet or DM us because especially right now, there's a lack of sports news in general and (laughs) specifically football. So we need things to talk about. We're looking for new things to talk about that maybe other podcast teams haven't already talked about that you haven't already heard on SportsCenter, on ESPN or on any other podcast that you may listen to so definitely if you have a question that you've always wanted answered um let us know we're always open to trying new things and digging deeper into some of these topics very cool uh and i will end with uh what what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks since we've been back is just uh stay healthy stay stay safe out there um do whatever you can to, you know, stay away from people as much as humanly possible. But uh, think of think of your friends, think of your family, keep reaching out, keep talking to people. All three of us have always said our DMs are open. Anything you want to talk about doesn't have to be football, life, whatever. Uh, so that's at Dusty Evely, at Sarah Kelleher 4, at Steve Peratch, and as always, at Packaday Podcast. Feel free. We love uh, five-star reviews. Those always are helpful for us. Um, and then that gives us bragging rights over the rest of the crew uh, anyway because Andy will always talk about those. So uh, whatever junction you get this podcast from, feel free to, sh- to give us a review. Uh, we would love it. But uh, we will be back uh, next week talking more Packers football. And as always, live your best life. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access 
access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.